This week on Super Skull, Robert Moses gets us heated. We talk about Tooth and Claw, our favorite book series, and Marcus cries about historic preservation. Plus your picks for the week of January 21st, 2015. Alrighty, welcome to Super Skull, your weekly New Comic Day audio digest recorded live to tape from the Todd McFarlane Memorial Studio Satellite Headquarters to Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'm your host, Marcus Schwimmer, joined by my friends and co-workers, Nick Wybar and Curtis Sullivan. Hello. Nick, you have a pretty big announcement for the podcast. I have a pretty big announcement for the podcast. I'd like to hear it, please. Uh, we have a really big interview coming up this week. Uh, Allison Bechdel is going to be in the shop, and we're going to spend some time talking with her. I am so excited about this, you guys. Yeah, look for that. That's a that's a huge deal. Yeah. It's also important to note we have some other events that are happening at Vault of Midnight, uh, both our locations over the next couple months that we want you to know about because I am super pumped for them. The uh, most upcoming event is a really great little discussion we're having called Batman, Adam West, and You. It's going to be on January 30th at the Ann Arbor location. We have this awesome professor from University of Toledo coming up. He's written a book recently titled Batman. And it's all about Batman 66 and how it affected American culture. His name's Matt Yaki. He's a really great guy. I've had a chance to talk to him, so really excited about that. So uh, more details on Facebook, uh, vaultofmidnight.com. Yeah. So. Um, we also have a dance party up in Grand Rapids. Our dance parties up there have been a huge success. This is a superhero dance party taking place on February 28th. And uh, some of the Ann Arbor crew is going to be heading up there to help with that event, too. So it's going to be a wonderful mingling of Vault of Midnight those, employees. Those dance parties are always bananas, man. They are, there's, it's a huge turnout every single time. Local news comes down to cover it, and it's, it's, it's such a great party. Yeah, and it's hosted by our good buddies over at the Pyramid Scheme yep. in Grand Rapids. Masterminded by George Benson, yeah, Vault gonna- of Midnight senior staff. Those events have been a blast. Yeah, so, it's going to yeah. be cool. And then last, due to popular demand, uh, we are partnering with our good friends at Nerd Life Productions to put on speed dating, which is going to happen on March 21st at the Ann Arbor location. If you are interested in speed dating, I cannot urge you enough to sign up now. We're already having slots fill quickly, and uh, there's a lot of time left. So yeah, it's a great event. Everybody always has a ton of fun. We're really excited to, to host it again. Yeah, we recently found out that uh, a couple that met at our speed dating is living together quite happily now. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, these two ladies met each other at speed dating, and now they're living together and in this wonderful relationship. Adorable. So, yeah, it's great. Makes me feel good. All, yeah, re- so all relationships start in the basements of comic shops. That's true. That's right. Yeah, all good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you can find out more about all these events and more at uh, vaultofmidnight.com, uh, Vault of Midnight on Facebook, and uh, follow us on Twitter at Vault of Midnight to get... More event updates. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, yeah. I have a question for you guys. How do you feel about the name of our studio? The Todd McFarlane Memorial Studio? Yeah, that's the one. I really enjoy it. What do you think about our studio name? I think it's perfect. So I, I'm, I'm mixed on it. Because as much as I've, I've fallen off the Todd bandwagon, he was instrumental in uh, my life and in the history of the comic shop. Is there a comic shop without Todd McFarlane? I don't think there is. I don't think there is. No, we used to get semi-trucks. Yeah. 18-wheelers filled with McFarlane toys uh, at the first location. It was a huge deal. Like, we would have McFarlane toys come to the store and do toy demos. Oh, yeah. Todd McFarlane popped in the first vault once upon a time, didn't he? I never never saw Todd, but I saw his brother and I saw his dad. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And uh, there's currently a really great Walking Dead McFarlane toy in the shop right now. 
That giant statue right by the front oh, door. Oh, geez, yeah, the Michonne. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So he makes really good toys, and there's no denying his place in the history of comics. So um, we'll revisit that name at some point. Don't you think the Todd McFarlane Memorial Studio is objectively hilarious, though? I think it's pretty funny. I just don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, especially Who? Todd. No, it's a, it's in honor of him. It's in honor of him. I, we don't yet have a like headshot of him in the studio, oh. but if anybody has a good one that they could send us, or like an oil painting of one, an oil painting, that's a what black I really think. velvet with like oil him with painting. like a saber on a horse would right. be ideal. <laughs> yes, yes, please, listeners, you are the most artistic group of people that we could ever reach out to. Black velvet painting, Todd McFarlane, white stallion, large saber, and or royal mace. I think would both be acceptable. I think that would be that would work. Absolutely. Well, guys, are you ready to uh, crunch some comics? Let's crunch some comics. Yes, awesome. So this week, just like every week, we have each picked three comics that are coming out on New Comic Day that we think are worth your hard-earned money. We know you work hard. So we're going to kick it off right now. Nick, your first pick for the week is Epocalypse, number three. You told me earlier today that this is a book that you think more people should be reading, and you're disappointed they're not. Well, I, I, it's I, how are the numbers looking on Epocalypse? They're just for the kind of book that it is from a publisher that's not... You know, it's legendary comics. Yes. Not as well known. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. I predict when this hits graphic novel, we'll be able to push it on a ton of people. Um, but it's not as good as a as a as it could be or should be for a book of this quality. Yeah, I'm super impressed with Legendary, and I really am I'm, I'm going to be watching out for them in general, just as a publisher. I'm just going to have, have an eye on that outfit. So this is Jonathan Hennessy doing the art. Shane, I'm sorry, Jonathan Hennessy is writing. Shane Davis is doing the art. This is um, the story of. The time travelers, essentially, who are trying to fix problems in the time continuum. So technology is popping up from the future and from the past in places that they don't belong. The present, like the contemporary present, whenever that is in this book, is uh, it's all screwed up. And everybody, all of society is kind of folded around this idea that we need to fix time. Yeah. And we're really getting, starting to get more of a sense of that in this issue. Um, I liked how weird this issue got. It, it it added a couple new wrinkles. Yeah, that I thought were quite interesting. So that's the thing. So these resynchronizers are like the cops of the time continuum, and they're they're a, playing a really huge role in society. And they keep adding in this book every issue. They keep adding more layers of complexity and more weird terms and more weird clubs and more factions. And it's all working. So this one we had this this ladies group that is vowing to stay celibate. Lest they should birth an, an anachronism, basically. Yep. And further screw up the time continuum. So until time is fixed, no babies. No is babies. The goal of this group. No sex. Yeah. And it's like they're, they're kind of they they seem like sort of like the prohibition movement or like the temperance movement. And it's uh it it's, it was just a total out of left field thing that I did not see coming at all. Yeah. There's also a bear fight. In this issue, yeah, love me a bear fight, which was super weird. Like they they wander into this cave looking for uh, another random piece of technology, and they end up getting in a bear fight. Yeah, sounds great. Which is what you want in every good time travel book. So yeah, it's it's super weird. Uh, more people should be reading it. It's a tough one. You got to get it from the beginning. You can't just dive into this book. It'll True. make no sense. It barely makes any sense as it is. Uh, but I'm really, really enjoying it. That's Apocalypse number three by Legendary. By Legendary. Yeah. So, Curtis, your first pick for this week is Rumble number two. This is an image comic book that was launched with some great amount of fanfare. This second issue, for me at least, really justified this book. What did you really like about it? Oh, so uh, this is John Arcudi and James Heron doing this book, Rumble number two from Image Comics. Uh, Dave Stewart's on the colors. Uh, I love the first issue. 
I didn't know where we're going. It's weird. It's a real sort of a BPRD situation in yeah, a way. Yeah, what's this book about? Even reading the second issue, and I read the first one and loved it, but I don't know what's going on. Yeah, so uh, maybe this human being is is marked somehow. So a guy works at a bar, a regular customer who uh, the joke is he doesn't pay his tab, leaves him an IOU and some ancient ruins. Runes, And uh, this scarecrow-ish being with a giant sword smashes into this guy's bar and causes a bunch of mayhem. Uh, second issue opens up with... A dude with a bunch of arms feeding a animal, an otherworldly animal, and it gets weird from there. Man, I love the monster design in this book. Can we talk about the monster love design? It. Like, it's so this fantastic. this dude who we meet in the beginning, his pet is like this six-headed snake, cat, lizard monster, Hydra snake. But it's adorable. Yeah, like it's drawn in such a way that like I hate snakes, but I I kind of like this pet. Yeah, this the world building here is like I really enjoy how the world looks kind of dark and believable, and yet the monsters that are in it are just so fun. And I said on the first issue, and I kind of stand with it, like these monsters to me at least have a little bit of a Paul Pope influence. I, I would say, yeah, they're very strange and unique. And they do this great thing where I'm buying that this guy is just a dude living in an apartment feeding his, this could be a cat. Yeah. This could be a dude without six arms feeding his cat, and they just sell it to you like, this is the guy who just got home from the grocery store. He's feeding his pet. But it's weird. So that cat I, is w- the coolest monster I've seen in I don't even know how long. It's creepy, man. And the way that it keeps getting bigger and bigger, we don't. Do we know what's up with it? We yeah, don't. We have no idea. And we just keep coming back to it with its mouth full of food and, and ever larger. Because basically, we're in this weird part of this city, and there's a lot of strange occultish. Uh, kind of Cthulhu-like creatures. Run. There's something going on in this district of town, sure. and there's a lot of monsters and weird, you know, other dimensional things living in this city. And we don't really know what's tying it all nope. together yet. Yeah, and they've all been there, presumably. You know, they just kind of live there. But this sword comes into play, and a lot of these beings seem to be after this sword. Yeah, if you like BPRD, I think you will love this book. And the action is just frenetic. The way... James Heron draws people getting cleaved with a sword. Yeah. Is my shit. It's also really funny. I, I love it. It's really funny. Yeah, yeah. Some good jokes. Yep. Yeah, like it, the, the creature we're talking about at the beginning, like he's playing catch with its owner one time. And it like has a football half shrugged in its mouth. And it's just really like adorable and slimy and cute and funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, this book could have been, it, it would be really easy to make this book overly serious and overly spooky. And to for it to take itself too seriously, and it totally is writing the exact line of there's something going on, there's depth to this world, but it's super silly in a lot of ways, and I really like it. Yeah, Mr. Bildad the cat. Mr. Yeah, Bildad. what is, is going on with that cat? So this cat eats, and as it eats, it's just getting bigger and bigger. Now it's like bigger than a dumpster. Yeah. And we just, like, we have no idea what's up with this character. It just kind of pops in here and there, but it's so much fun. The old lady that owns Mr. Bildad is adorable. Yeah. It, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we could go on and on. I want to spoil it. This is issue number two. We have issue number ones in stock, and, you know, Image has been on a tear lately. So even if you don't know this creative team, if we haven't sold you on the pitch, you should probably try it just on the back of it's an image, number one, and they're putting out hot fire all day long every day right yep. now. Agreed. So, yeah. So give it a Rumble. Look. Rumble, number two. Awesome. Well, my first pick for the week is Spider-Woman, number three. And this is going on my love of Spider-Verse, which I know all of you have heard about about a gajillion times. But I would like to propose that maybe they change the title of this book 
from Spider Woman to Kick Ass Spider Ladies. To the fabulous Kick Ass Spider Ladies. Got it. Yeah, this book is done by Dennis Hopeless and uh, is uh, drawn by Greg Land. And, you know, we've talked a little bit. I have some problems with Greg Land's art. It's a little posy from time to time. Yeah. Um, but it's mostly always good, but then, yeah, then there's, there's, there's moments. There's like one panel here and yeah. there where he does the pose. But this book has featured the awesome ladies of the Spider-Verse more than any other book. Who do we got in here? Who's so on, we who's have Spider-Woman. Mm-hmm. We have Silk, who's a character who's getting her own storyline here pretty soon. Silk, and, it's been revealed, is the other totem uh, person bit by the same spider that bit Peter Parker right. originally. Yeah, and she's got some pretty cool abilities, and she's fleshing out to be a pretty deep, cool character. And then Spider-Gwen, who's everyone's favorite, is, is featured pretty prominently in this book. But um, I think what I enjoy about Spider-Woman the most is uh, Jessica, Spider-Woman, is so wonderfully believable in this book. Like, there's some, there's some poop humor in this book that is is funny and like it's hilarious seems like it would come out of a real person's mouth yeah she's trying to like get away so there's this dude in that that she's the concubine of or she the the person that she's replacing she's the concubine of and in order to like get out of having dinner with this dude she does she's she's got a real poop sitch that she's got to go deal with hysterical it's It's so so funny funny. man can we talk about this cover for a little bit what is this cover do you see it? Describe uh, it to me. So uh, we have uh, Silk in the the top left corner and Spider Woman down in the in the bottom right, and they're kind of doing the the ceiling painting, the Da Vinci ceiling painting. Sure. Finger touch, and it's just really cool. I like um, I like so much of the stuff that Greg Land does. Like I think he draws s- s- uh, scenescapes really well. I think he does a lot of really good yeah. detail. It's just the posing. If he could do it without the posing, I would be right there. Absolutely. Yeah. But we have two more. Guys, we only have two more issues until Spider-Verse wraps up. Oh, my goodness. So this Spider-Woman and all the Spider-Comics that have come out this week. So Spider-Verse Team-Up is a must-read. You're going to meet Spider-Mam, which is the Aunt May, old Aunt May version of Spider-Man. Um, we're really getting into some deep stuff right now on how Spider-Verse is going to wrap. And I've just enjoyed this run from start to finish and this Spider-Woman comic just kicks a ton of butt right there and it's it's being the catalyst for Silk number one and Spider-Gwen number one which both drop pretty soon and I can't wait for those I, I this is my favorite crossover from Marvel Comics in I can't even think of the next crossover you know, before this one that I've loved this much. Yeah, and Marvel has announced kind of a way that we can keep these characters in the universe after Spider-Verse, but we're going to get to that later in our industry news section. So Marvel Virgins. Yeah. <laughs> so check out, uh, that's uh, Spider-Woman number three, Spider-Verse. It is totally worth your time. Those are our first round of picks for this week. Moving on to the second. Nick, your second pick for the week is a book based on some really great art by Ashley Wood, who has a little bit of a cult following. It's Zombies vs. Robots number one. Yeah, I'm really, uh, I kind of dig this first issue. Agreed. Uh, I digged it. The writer is Chris Ryall. Uh, the artist is Anthony uh, Decidue, which there's no way I'm saying that right. Probably not. There's no chance. So this is, it's exactly what it sounds like. Uh, humanity stumbles upon zombies. They pull them through some other dimension and zombies get in. Mm-hmm. And they invent a robot system to fight the zombies. But guess what? The robots take over everything. They can't tell zombies and humans apart. 
So now it's just that's zo- a problem. Now it's zombies versus robots. So it, the this is my question for you, Curtis, is that the Ashley Wood zombies versus robots stuff? There was never a narrative behind that. It was just concept art. Is that is that no. right? No, he he did. There was a comic yes. book. Mm-hmm. I haven't read any of it. Was it good? Is it worth it was, reading? It was fantastic. So, uh, and that book had a little lone wolf and cub vibe that I liked. There was one human baby left, and a lot of the robots have been wiped out. So there's only a few robots left. So it's this ragtag group of beat up robots with one human baby fending off the endless zombie hordes. Oh, it was dope. The yeah. the baby fought the no. The baby was just like you know. Oh, the robot was our guy. Exactly. There's a little little group of like you know. There's one badass war robot, and then the rest are like missing an arm. And, yeah. You know, and we get a little bit of that in the in the backup, I think. Yeah, I. So what I really find interesting is like my first exposure to this world was via all of the statues and toys. Yeah. That have been spawned from Ashley Wood's great art. Sure. Um, and you know we have a one customer in particular in Ann Arbor who's just like really our dude for this kind of stuff. He buys all of it, and like his enthusiasm for this art style and these sculptures mm-hmm. are just really. Has has what like drew, has driven me to read this book, and I was, you know, it's a really simple concept that is done so well and is really engaging. Yeah, and this is a book really that's concept first. Yeah, it's zombies know? versus robots, and um, you almost don't need a story. Exactly, and and Ashley Wood is is that good? Yeah, like, I'm an Ashley Wood devotee. I own a ton of his toys. I got a whole wall in my dining room that's you know 40 paintings from Ashley Wood in love with this guy. So he's one of the few artists that I think is so talented that draw a drawing and then make up a story. Yeah. You know, it just looks cool. Let's figure out what the story is uh, later. So And the art by um, Decidue or, or however you pronounce it is do, totally doing it justice. It's yeah. not Ashley Wood. Nope. But it's reminiscent of Ashley Wood. You can kind of see the, the you know, the Ashley Wood-isms in the art. And it's totally getting the job done. It, we we do get a little two pager in there from Ashley. Yes, we do. Um, which is nice, but also just like a tease. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I really liked it. I was really surprised by it because I had I had no idea what to think. This has always been kind of just a. a f- I'll be interested to see if it has any narrative teeth going right. forward. Um, or if it's just going to be this kind of neat idea, because they're not playing it straight, really. They're 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 having fun with it, which is cool. There's a little bit of a banter between like this this droid kind of um, what would you call it? Like a like an observer droid, like a scout droid. Yeah, exactly. Talking back to the big hive mind uh, robots that are apparently in space or something, uh, and it's really working. I had a lot of fun with it. So yeah, this is Zombies versus Robots number one from IDW. Curtis, your second pick for the week is Guru number one, put out by Dark Horse Comics. Yes. I want to talk to you about this book because I read it and you are super excited about it. And I just, I, I'm not feeling that same excitement. So I want to know why do you love this book so much? So I'm in love with Sergio Aragonas, the artist of this book and creator of Guru. But I'm also in love with his co-conspirator on this book, a guy named Mark Evanier. And these two gentlemen together have been working on Guru for probably 30 years. This is the first uh, character I learned how to draw when I was a young man. I was totally into Gru. I came to him by way of Mad Magazine. Oh. That makes so much because that's what that's that was my thought while I was reading this book. I was like, man, this just feels a lot like a really extended Mad Magazine comic strip. So he used to draw these. He drew a lot of stuff from Mad, but he drew these tiny little cartoons that were minuscule in between panels and on the bottoms of pages in Mad Magazine for years and years. Um, so that's how I came to it. 
I've been reading this comic on and off for literally my entire life of reading comic books. I'm so happy that there's an ongoing, well, it's 12 issues, uh, but there hasn't been like an ongoing monthly Gru series in quite a while. They did a Gru Conan book. That was incredible, four issues uh, maybe six months ago. So Gru as a character is kind of this this wandering warrior who just always seems to have bad luck. Am I getting that right? No, he's an idiot. Okay. <laughs> he is a medicant. He is a buffoon. He is a colossal idiot. But he always seems to come out on top. He cannot be beat. He is an unstoppable killing machine. <laughs> he will sink your fleet of ships. Do not let that dude into your town. Your town will be a smoldering crater, and Gru will just walk out none the wiser. It's it's so awesome. So what's the idea here is that he, it, you, if you let him on your ship, your your ship's going to sink. You're dead meat. And everybody knows it. Yep. So this the captain of this ship takes out a bunch of insurance policies. So this uh, apparently this Gru has been a passenger on this captain's ship previously many times. Yeah. Every time ship goes down, it's the ship. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you can't say no to Gru because he'll slay you. Right. You know, so you're just he's caught. You know, Gru sees this guy and he's like, ah, shit. You know, <laughs> what am I gonna? Okay, I got. He's he cooks up this massive contingency plan. He's gonna like take out insurance. He's gonna pre-sell the ship. He's gonna pre-sell the cargo at a discount. And of course, Gru's gonna sink the ship and he's gonna make out like a bandit. You know, from the insurance money. But of course. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, I found the book to be enjoyable. Like, I really enjoyed reading it, but I felt like I was missing an element because I haven't been exposed to this character previously. So, uh, they don't, you don't know this in this book, but the dog Ruffierto that hangs out with Gru is in love with Gru. He just worships Gru. And they have all these conversations, but Gru can't hear the dog and the dog doesn't talk. So, it's Gru saying something out loud and then the dog thinking, like, you're absolutely right, Gru. And it's incredible, but uh, Gru has only kept the dog around because he's hungry. So there's two things that Gru wants to do. He wants to kill stuff, and he wants to eat. His favorite food is cheese dip. He's often starving. Are you serious? Cheese dip? Cheese dip. He loves it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, he often thinks of eating the dog constantly. Yeah. And it's hilarious because the dog worships at the feet of Gru. <laughs> but, like, there'll be, like, a panel where it'll be, like, you know, Gru will be thinking, like, the dog with an apple in its mouth over a fire. And then the dog will be thinking of, like, I love Gru, yeah. you know, in his head. It's hysterical. If you like, you know, there's not a lot of humor books out there. Yeah. Straight humor. Straight humor. This is just Mad Magazine style, straight up humor. This is my question for you is can you read this book without the nostalgia factor? If, if Gru doesn't mean anything to you, if you're not, you know, versed in, you know, Mad Magazine, can you pick this up and read it? I would, I would think so. I would hope so. So I was kind of in that boat. Um, and I, I mean, I enjoyed it. If, if, I mean, I read Mad Magazine as a kid. I feel like a lot of us have. Yeah. But it, it does have a little bit more of like a traditional comic strip style Absolutely. to it. And that is very accessible. Because it's to just gag, people. gag, gag. Right. Yep. right. Yeah, yeah, every page is a gag. It's yeah. set up, you know, and punchline. Uh, I love it. And the art is hysterical. Really pay attention to the art. My dude draws every face. If there's like a pile of 100 dead bodies that grew just... Wiped out? Yeah. Every face is hysterical on all those dead bodies. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully they bring his sister Gruella in here because they mention that, and Gruella is a nightmare. So, uh, yeah, do yourself a favor. Check out Sergio Aragona's Gru, number one, Dark Horse Comics. And Google Mark Evanier because chances are uh, he made everything you liked as a kid. All right, so my second pick for the week is Teen Titans number 36. I've mentioned before that I am somewhat of a Teen Titans devote follower through the good and the bad um, I like a lot of what they do, but the reason I'm picking Teen Titans number 36 isn't because this run has been amazing. It has been amazing. It's been pretty good. It's yeah. been really good. But they are 
expanding on the new Power Girl in this issue, and she kicks so much ass. Agreed. Uh, um, so for those of you who don't know, uh, the traditional Power Girl has has left. She's in another dimension. She's out doing other things, and she has essentially given her powers to this new young lady. Um, not all of them, but some of the super strength, the ability to jump really high, and all of her money. She's also, yeah, given her given her, her legal, the rights to her name legally. Yeah. I guess there was a contract involved even. There was a contract? Yeah, so it's, she it's makes like, her like you know, sign a document. Yeah, real yeah, deal. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So this book is written by Will Pfeiffer, and the art is by Scott Hepburn. I'm, one of the things I like about Hepburn's art is we have a lot of characters in Teen Titans that have traditionally been drawn in ways that are either kind of silly or kiddish or on the flip side, especially with Wonder Girl, like incredibly sexualized. And the art inside this book is very much uh, accessible in a way that's that's neither of those things. Um, but man, I hope that everyone is getting on this new Power Girl wagon because she is awesome. And she's really mixing things up with the Teen Titans. You know, She comes and essentially saves them from this battle that they're in. And uh, she's like, you know, I, I've, I've come here, I've, I've sought you guys out, and uh, you're kind of doing everything wrong. And Red Robin wants none of this, because he's like the team leader. Um, and they go into this big conversation about, like, what is the role of teenage superheroes, and should they be more aggressive, kind of like the JLA. But I think this Wonder Girl is here to stay, and this is a great introduction Power to girl? this Power character. Girl. Yeah. Wonder yeah. Girl? Power Girl. Power Girl. Did Wonder I say Girl's Wonder Girl? Wonder Girl's up in there, too. But, I'm sorry if yeah, I said yeah. Wonder Girl. Yeah, yeah. Power Girl. Um, and I think she's a symbol of kind of what DC is trying to do with some of these characters who are a little dated. Power Girl has, you know, what is Power Girl known for? The boob window. The boob window. You know, and we just saw this in a current run of Harley Quinn where like the boob window is like a big part of this storyline. But this new Power Girl, she's like younger. She's in a very respectable costume and uh, she kicks a ton of ass. And also it's important to point out, you know, she's, she's a, she's a black superhero. And what I really like about what they've done with her is that, like, her ethnicity has not even been brought up in the book yet. She's just like, she's a black superhero, and that's really as much about it as it needs to be. Yep. Um, but she kicks a ton of ass. So we saw this. Um, so uh, Captain America recently handed his mantle over to Black Falcon, another black superhero. Just Falcon. Just, just Falcon. Falcon. Did I say Black Falcon? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not your fault. I mean, Black Lightning, Black you see what it Manta, does? you know, we're, exactly. we're, we've all been conditioned. Yeah. So um, you guys had a really interesting conversation earlier yeah. that I wanted to relitigate. Sure. And now, so this, we've also had some people, we've had some idiots come through the yes. store who are kind of miffed. They think yeah. that, you know, this, that it's almost an arbitrary, you know, the way that they phrase it is that they're, you know, turning superheroes black. Uh, almost just for the sake of it. I've had that exact phrase said to me. Yeah. Why are they turning everyone black? Yeah. And uh, which is a I I you know you you got to put your kid gloves on when you get a statement like that, right? What's your answer to that? So my 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 brain, I want a tirade. Yeah. It's completely untrue. Nobody's been turned black or been turned a woman. That's the other thing is you know a lot of people were were strangely miffed about Thor being a woman. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, a lot of these folks are only peripherally involved in comics. So they read a news article about Cat being black. And this is a storyline that's been building forever. Yeah. You know, and... Since Falcon has become a character, he's kind of been set up... Absolutely. ...as the logical next choice for the mantle of Captain America. Sam is the dude 
logically who would take the mantle of Captain America. And it's not like Cap has always been Steve Rogers. True. You know, Bucky Barnes was Captain America for a while. Remind me the gentleman who was Cap before Steve Rogers. Oh, so he was the first Captain America is black, and I'm right. totally blanking on his name. His but daughter is in Young Avengers. His uh, granddaughter, pa- Patriot, his grandson. Patriot is the grandson of the original Captain America. Oh. So there's a great story called Truth, that is the origin of Captain America, and it's a real Tuskegee Airmen type story. Yeah, it's great, and it, it they take a whole black army regiment and experiment on them, and almost all of them die. So it's it's a pretty dark. Uh, story, but dark in so much as you know, Tuskegee Airmen's a real sure. That's real American history, right. so it's 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 you know dark, but not not incredibly far fetched. So yeah, you know, and, and that's always the worry, right? Is is people like peripherally involved? They they're going to see these peripherally involved as in in they, comic books. Yeah, they they see a headline and they know about Captain America because they've seen a movie or they've read a few comics and they see Captain America turns black. You know, so the thing I find interesting is like we often talk that. What comic books portray is in superheroes in general is like the better form of ourselves, right? Superheroes are just uh, often are a little bit more on the moral high ground. They're a little bit better than the average person. No one in these books is making a big deal about the new Captain America being black or Power Girl being black. It's just they're the new Captain America and they're yeah, the new Power Girl because and that's the choice that that was the logical choice that was sure made. exactly sure. it's it's us the outsiders that are kind of putting all this emphasis on it and it's great i think it's good that dc and marvel are making a more represent representative superhero base sure they're 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 representing the actual world this is still a drop in the bucket it's so small number of superheroes yeah what is what is what is the percentage of of non-white superheroes well you know yeah it's pathetic it's absolutely it's it's not reflective of of life on planet Earth in the year 2015. Well, yeah, I mean, walk down the street. It doesn't look like that. Even talking about this, like we haven't even touched the base that there are. I mean, if if African American superheroes aren't being represented, then Asian American and Asian superheroes in particular oh, are yeah. non-existent. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and that's a a whole other thing. But you know, this Power Girl, this new Power Girl, is great because she stands on her own two feet. She has a compelling backstory. She is here to make a choice. She's not a follower. She's not. She's doing kind of the opposite of the Miss Marvel effect. Miss Marvel Kamala Khan is out there like getting all these mentors and trying to learn how to be a superhero. Power Girl has like had some stuff happen. She's had some bad things happen in her life, and she now has these powers, and she doesn't need the Uncle Ben with a great power comes great responsibility talk because she's, like, ready to go. Yeah. And she kicks that much butt. I think this character is here to stay. I think this character has some real future in the DC universe, and I couldn't be more thrilled about it. And Teen Titans number 36 is a great way to get to know her. I think overall change in superheroes, I like the handing of the mantle off to other characters to take on these is it's a way to keep continuity going and it's a way to keep a hero going instead of just having one person in perpetuity never age and never change and just finding new ways to to screw with this same character over time i love the passing of the mantle and so i think what we're getting at here is that these are not arbitrary decisions that are made there are things that are built into the story these are characters that we know and then these mantles get passed because that's the logical choice sure and is there some editorializing going on? Is there are these choices that are being made at the top? Like we don't know, but in the in the organically within the story, it's working. Yeah. So my hope is we're seeing all these these torches being passed. The one I really want to come back, my next torch passing DC that I would like to see 
Aqualad from Young Justice. Aqualad is my dude. He is the man, and he would be a great character to kind of bring back into the story and and uh, do this kind of uh, torch passing. So, sure. yeah, I, I encourage everyone to uh, check out Teen Titans number six just because, man, Power Girl's going to be here to stay, and you're going to want to know about her origin story, and they, they 100% break it down in this issue. Excellent. Yep, good cool. issue. All right, so those are our second round picks for the week. Moving into our third and final round, Nick, Autumnlands number three, originally called Tooth and Claw. Um, this is one of our favorite collective picks of the week. Is it moving at the same pace? Is it is it still running on two feet full force? I think it is, and it's um, it's it's taken a, a different dimension, and the vibe of it has changed a lot. We're starting to dig into the characters and get away from because they spent a lot of time kind of world building in the first two issues because the the world's kind of crazy and it, it needs a little bit of, of of backstory. But now we're just digging in. So this is Kurt Busick uh, doing the writing. Benjamin Dewey is on the art. He's still killing it. Um, this book was it's Autumnlands Tooth and Claw for now, and it will soon just be Autumnlands. They have yes. a little backup at the back of the story. Like Tooth and Claw was another image book. And the the creator of that original image book wants to hold on to the rights. He wants to do other stuff with that title. So eventually, it's just going to be called the Autumn Lands, which I think is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I've seen, you don't see that very often. No, and I've seen because of this kind of fumble, the speculators. Are, oh yeah, are out because that Tooth and Claw number one that doesn't have Autumn Lands attached to it. It spiked up a little bit. Is, spiked in price. Yeah, it's going for a pretty penny on the old internet yeah. these days, which I think is just interesting because this book like from a collectability standpoint, hasn't had enough issues to really warrant that first issue price that it's currently yeah. sitting at. I mean, at. it went to a second printing, so that's, you know, for most of It's a com, great book. It's a yeah, great book. But, yeah, like you say, I mean, it's it's fresh out of the gate. You yeah. Know? So what are, what are the legs, you know? What does it look like in five years? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we're um, digging into – it turns out that the – so the, the premise of this book is that these, you know – uh, anthropomorphic type animals who live in this sky city run by magic. They're running out of magic. They summon this hero who's supposedly going to fix everything and bring balance back to everything. And the hero that they summon is a human who we find out in this issue is like maybe a sci-fi soldier soldier yeah. Yeah. who's been sucked into this world for reasons that we don't know. Uh, it just took that was a, a total. Yeah. There's like a whole page of just like a the one of the opening title pages is just a description of him fighting in this sci-fi battle, which was kind of cool because it's been a strict kind of fantasy setting. Absolutely, up to this point, I was not expecting that when I opened this book. Me neither. And yep. he um, talks differently than everybody else does, and so we, like I said, we're starting to it's starting to distinguish the characters, and we're starting to get to know this these people. It, it, instead of just building this giant world, we're starting to dig into a little bit. And yeah, I really, really am enjoying it. I, I enjoy the they fleshed out a little bit of the political uh, factions yeah. uh, in this fallen city too, you know that whole you know people want to survive but also there's the ambitions of the the former leader of the city and clearly the ambitions of the the mage who's responsible for kind of like trying to bring this hero back. So I dug that too. I thought that was a neat act. It's got a lot that of they handled well. Yeah. It's got a lot of yeah. characters and it's got a lot of depth. I'm super into it. It's one of my favorite books coming out right now. I'm really enjoying the new trader character that they just kind of brought in. Trader is in like a merchant, not as in like a backstabber. But yeah. that character is really fun and and kind of has this different look 
on yeah. what's happening at the situation. That yeah, all these she shows up. She's like a fox. She shows yeah. up at the crash site, and she's got supplies for you, but so, you know, at a at a price. Right. She, you know, she's riding a giant cockroach. Yeah. yeah. Which I thought was awesome because, like, you know, the the floating cities are the paradise, and like the you know the ground is like a wasteland. You know, and there's giant cockroaches that have survived whatever horrible shit. Right. And they're mounts now. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. It's really fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying the book as well. Yeah, that's uh, Autumn Lands, Tooth and Claw, number three from Image Comics. So, Curtis, your last pick for the week is Batman and Robin, number 38. Yeah. The triumphant return of Damian Wayne has yes. happened. Mm-hmm. What's going on with young Damian now that he's back in the flesh? So, Damian Wayne is, uh, well, he's a Wayne, so he's the son of Bruce Wayne, but his mama is Talia al Ghul. Al Ghul. Who is the daughter of, you guessed it, Raza Ghul. Uh, here's the thing about the Aghuls. They don't die really. I mean, they do, but then they come back to life. It's kind of their thing. Yeah, they come back a bunch. So Damien's back. Dude's got superpowers. Majors, not yeah. kid superpowers. No. He's flying. He's, he's got some Superman-esque powers yeah. going on right now. Bullets, Shit. no problem. Yeah, I love this issue. You know, I I am always cautious with a reincarnation story in comic books because so often it is done poorly. But Damien, this issue really is Damien exploring his new powers and like trying to figure out his new place in this world that he was once accustomed to. And um, he's just such a cool character and they're, they're breathing so much life into him with these superpowers. Yeah. I just... The oyster, like the world is open for this young man, and I just can't wait to see where he's going. Well, and I will say the last few years of Batman, with you know the main architects of Batman over the last couple of years are Grant Morrison and Scott Snyder, and also the writer of this book, uh, Peter Tomasi. I think they Batman is as good as it's been as a universe in the entire time I've been reading comic books. Damian Wayne is my favorite son or child of a superhero. Period. I love him. I loved Son of Batman. When he died, I did not enjoy that. It hurt me when deeply. When Damian Wayne died. I, it affected me deeply. I did not enjoy it at all. Yeah. I wanted him to come back. You know, you in comic books, they kill people. Don't bring him back. You know they're going to bring him back. I don't care. I wanted Damian Wayne back. <laughs> I don't care how they did it. They could pick a story. Lightning Bolt Frankenstein style, I don't give a shit. Bring Damian Wayne back right now. Well, now he's back. And, yeah. you know, he has these powers that don't, in my opinion at least, don't really suit the bat style of crime fighting, right? Because it's a little more in your face, a little bit more Superman-esque. Sure. Can Damian Wayne, in your opinion, stay Robin? I think so, and uh, I would say that because the relationship between... So Damian Wayne has grown as a character. That's why I loved him so much. When he starts off, he's like the da- He's the son of Ta'i al Ghul. He's raised by the League of Shadows, Right, he doesn't meet his father Batman until he's twelve years old, and uh, so by the time you know he meets Batman, you know he he's gonna kill a bad guy. You know he catches a bad guy, kill a bad guy. That's what the the league does. There's no courts. There's no justices. You die. But you know over time he grows, and under the tutelage of his dad, he really grows to care about you know actual justice in process. And uh, the way they handle, like, the uh, Bruce Wayne, New Damien, even Alfred paradigm. The Alfred scene in I this book was dope. is 
one of the best Alfred scenes I have seen in a long time. That besides Damian Wayne, that's my other favorite development of the last couple years of Batman. Penny One. Penny One rules, man. Yeah, he's the best. Just crucial character in the Bataverse. Got to have him. So even if you haven't read any Batman and Robin, you could just jump right in here, and then you're gonna love it, and then you're gonna go and read a ton of Batman. Do you, Do you ever realize that like none of the baddies really mess with Alfred? I think because they know. Like, no one is insane enough to really mess with Alfred because then you have the entire Bat family who will travel from and stop literally whatever they're doing. So, so it almost, you got to think that one too. To mess your day up. It almost never bad. happens, but uh, in Death of the Family. Yeah. Right. Joker. Man, that's, I won't, I'm not going to spoil it because everyone should read Death of the Family. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Alfred gets uh, neck deep in some shit with the Joker in that book. There's a really great. And I did not like it because I was. Don't do that to Alfred. Death of rather than death in. Yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. Death in the family. Also great Batman story from years ago. This is yeah. death of the family. Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo. There's a really great panel. Um, it's one of my favorites where Barbara, a.k.a. Batgirl, is talking to Dick Grayson. And like something has happened with Alfred. And Grayson's like, no one messes with my Alfred. And yeah. then they both like go off to stop what's about to yep. happen. And it's just like that character is so important to every bat person sure because everybody's relationship with the bat is a little strained like the bat family's got some problems you know not everybody gets along super well but everybody gets along with alfred and alfred is taking care of every one of those people it's really cool yeah yeah go alfred so yeah pick up uh batman and robin number 38 do it all right, well, my last choice for the week is... Here we go. Here we go. Is a hardcover that's come out um, by Nobro Press, and it is called Robert Moses, The Master Builder of New York City. I must preface before I start talking about this comic book that I have some feelings, um, a little-known fact about... What's your background, Marcus? Right, so I have a... Um, before I was a comic book slinger, uh, I worked in the historic preservation field. I have a master's in historic preservation from Eastern Michigan University. And um, so I, I come into this book with some feelings because in the preservation community, Robert Moses is viewed uh, with some distaste, I will say. He's an urban planner yes. that did much of the changing of New York City post-World War II. On a massive scale. Massive scale. So I am going to try my hardest to talk about this book um, and its merits <laughs> without letting my personal distaste for this particular character flow through. But I'm but sure. When you say character, you mean actual actual human, human being. being who is uh, one of the more interesting characters in the development of American preservation. The so, father of urban planning. Some people have referred to him as. Some people may call him that. Yeah. Yes, that would be a title <laughs> that you could attribute to this gentleman. So, a little background: Robert Moses is a uh, urban planner who comes to New York City after getting uh, a number of degrees at some very prestigious universities and decides that he wants to change the landscape of New York. New York's a little outdated. They're having a problem with poverty. It's not a very efficient city to get around. You have to realize the automobile is like just really becoming an every household item. And so he comes up with this grand design. Um, and this book is has a lot of really great things going for it. I should, I should start out by saying that I am thrilled that there are graphic novels being written about architecture, urban planning, historic preservation. That makes me jump up and down. And Even about, uh, some might say, a controversial 
figure Absolutely. such as Robert Moses. Yeah. It's important to point out that while this book is mostly focused on um, Mr. Moses, that there is a really great chapter, chapter four, uh, focused on Jane Jacobs, who is like this icon of historic preservation. And, uh, you know, they do address the fact that Robert Moses is not a perfect human. And, and this historic preservation battle that takes place is really addressed in this book. This book is beautiful. It, it is beautiful. It's a stunning, stunning book. Yeah, the panel work is great. It, it moves really, really well. Coloring is really nice. Yeah. yeah. And as, it, as a piece of comic book biography, I, I loved it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, and there are few artists who really spend the detail on architecture drawings, and this is something that I'm just kind of aware of. The architecture drawings in this book are stunning. There's one frame of the UN building in New York City, and while that building has a lot of controversy about its design, that one panel could be taken as a piece of art. So um, uh, It's really beautiful. The UN was going to go to Pittsburgh, if uh, I'm remembering right my reading. But uh, Robert Jordan was instrumental in getting the UN building in. Robert Moses, not Robert, Robert Jordan, Jordan, the author of the Wheel of Time series. <laughs> or the Bluesman from oh, the 30s. Fascinatingly enough, it was Robert Jordan. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, that's not true. So the UN, though, is in New York because of Robert Moses, in in part, at least. Yeah. Right. So uh, on one end, this book does make the effort to acknowledge some of the shortcomings of Robert Moses as a person. That being said, while I do enjoy this book and I'm glad it's around, I do think that it sometimes flirts with the lines of hero worship, um, which is a hard thing to get away from when doing a biography. In biography in general. Right. That this is a problem with biography. Right? I agree. But, uh, you know, this this book is definitely worth a read. I hope a ton of people come pick it up. Even if you're not into urban planning or historic preservation, this is a really cool book about the development of New York City. Yeah. And whether you agree with Robert Moses or you don't, um, I think the book accurately portrays what is happening in this town during the time. And yes. it's a topic that's important for everybody. Oh, totally. matter, regardless of your feelings about Robert Moses, sure. this dude is, a, you know, he's, he's a big driving force behind something that's extremely important and is only going to be more important in the immediate future. And yeah. what he did in New York spread, I mean, throughout the country. So, uh, you know, one could say that, you know, a lot of where we're at, urban planning-wise, kind of comes right from... These, these moments in history. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because like urban planners study Robert Moses and what he did. Um, and on the flip side, preservationists study the counter to Robert Moses' actions as like really great ways to do grassroots preservation. So, and, I, and this book does touch on both those things. And I really appreciate that they're willing to put the Jane Jacobs um, battle in this book. I think it's great. I, you know, it's the first piece of preservation comic that I've ever seen. And it's yeah. done so beautifully. But, um, you know, it, it's hard for me to walk away from this book and not see a little bit of hero worship. Um, that being said, please pick up this book. I want this book to sell well because uh, I, I would love to see this be a series. I would love an architecture series that's done by these guys. It would be great. And just more, you know, seriously taken biographies in yeah. general. We've seen a really neat rash of them over the past five years or so, and I think this is right in line with that. And, Keep it going. Uh, and really this, well-crafted. This book was originally done in French. Um, it was oh, a, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it was a French book. And they reference. I, I, I didn't notice it at first until they start talking about a gentleman uh, called Le Cabousier, who's a uh, French urban planner who did or wanted to do much of what Robert Moses was doing in New York to Paris. I see. Thank God he didn't um, because it was a like a massive bulldozing project that he wanted to do. But um, 
it is a it is a easy transaction for them to move from this book into a book about Le Corbusier. And man, the series like I want to take this into classrooms. This book is ready to be to be delivered to classrooms. Yeah. And I just get excited that there are books like this out there, whether I agree with the character selection or not. This is a great book. It's an important book, and it's gonna books like this are gonna pave the way for graphic novels being a really huge part of education. Well, and, and at the very least, it's a conversation starter, right? We've been ranting and raving about this book all day, and and that's the thing, right? So you don't have to agree, right? It can be a really nice starting point. Absolutely. You know, for broader conversations and more research. Oh, you know uh, I'm bringing yeah. you pamphlets about Jane Jacobs. You know I'm bringing that to the store. No, it's awesome. a, it's a great book. And, uh, you know, while, while I got heated reading it, at least I'm happy that there are graphic novels that exist in this world today that can instill that type of emotion. Excellent. So, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, those are our picks for the week. My last one again was Robert Moses. It's in hardcover. It sells for $25 and is well worth every cent. Let's get fast. Let's get sassy. Let's get fast and sassy. Boom. Welcome to the fast and sassy section. This is a fan favorite. We really enjoy doing it every single week. As always, we want to tell you more about the books that are coming out this week. So we are going to give ourselves as a collective one minute to pitch you as many other books that are coming out this week as we possibly can. Our record as a team is seven. Oh, only seven. Yeah. Oh, okay. we got nine last oh, week. Oh, did we get nine last we week? We okay. totally got nine. We don't know what our record is. I it's, guess not. It's totally nine, I know. Okay. So uh, we're going to see what we can do. There's a lot of great books this week, so we're going to kick it off. Nick, when you're ready, start us off. And the timer, am I going to start us off with the with the first pick, too? You want me to keep? You want me to go first? Sure. All right, let's do it. What the hell? The timer... Starts now. Ivar, Time Walker. It's a new book from Valiant. It's about time travel. The Drifter, number three. Uh, this is giant slugs, subterranean killing machines, and spacefaring badassery. Amazing Spider-Verse, number 13. Amazing Spider-Man, number 13. Spider-Verse, part five. Long title, awesome book. Spider-Verse is ending. Lots of cool shits wrapping up. Spread, number five. No. <laughs> the Valiant, number two. <laughs> this book is uh, the death of everything unless the Eternal Warrior can stop it. Guardians of the Galaxy, number 23. If you like Venom as a character, and you totally should, this book has Venom's home planet. Powers, number one. It's a reboot of the last reboot they did of the Powers reboot. There's a TV show coming out soon. The trailer looks good. Deadpool, Art of War, number three. Deadpool kills Sun Tzu, steals his book, starts a war, tries to sell it. Burning Fields, number one. New title from Boom. Iraqi war vet gets sent back to Iraq to find a serial killer. Lumberjanes, number 10. Uh, Time, time, time. (laughs) I had the best wig in a divine pitch. Uh, Well, you want to give it to us? Let's hear it. Sex, drugs, and Dionysus. Oh, that was pretty good. (laughs) That is nice. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven. Not bad, guys. There's a lot of good stuff. No, wait. You put yours on the ground, Curtis. I got four, y'all. Oh. Oh, Well, no, we can't count winning a divine. I got three. Oh, that's 10. That's 10. New record. Hey, we did 10. No, I didn't do Lumberjanes. Oh, that's nine. nine. Tied. Three apiece. Um, Burning Fields, I just liked. You You threw that book my way today. Burning Fields number one was also new this week. Yeah, was it boom. Good? Oh, yeah, I liked it. It's, I liked first it's issue. It's fun. It's got a nice uh, military murder mystery going on. Which is Michael Morisi. Why do I know the name? He's done know. other stuff. Yeah. Anywho. All right, moving on to our board game corner. Last week, we started this new segment where we're going to try to review a new board game every week. This week, Nick and I really dove into a new card game called Star Realms. Star Realms. I, Nick, 
you were never a Magic the Gathering guy as a kid, right? I was not. Okay. So I was a I was a Magic the Gathering kid. I was the kid in middle school who played Magic during lunch. Mm. No. Represent I know, shocking, right? Um and in many ways, Star Realms is a mix between Dominion and Magic the Gathering. Would you say that's correct? I I, I mean it's definitely a deck building game in the vein of Dominion, but what what do you think makes it more magic like? Because uh, the, of the combat stuff? Yeah, the combat stuff. I could see right. That. And you, you're booster packs. There are no 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 no. no this is this those are the, not boosters. No, tell this me is more. what I love about Star Realms. So Star Realms comes in like a the the base set for it comes in a large, uh, kind of like a box, a deck box. Yeah. In that box is all the cards you need to play for two people. Correct. So those little booster like packs are expansions, but you they're all the same. Oh. So once you buy, this is what I love about this game is it gets away from the Magic the Gathering booster craze. Um, in many ways, I consider Magic the Gathering to be a pay-to-win game. The more money you're willing to put into Magic the Gathering, the better your deck can be. That is definitely an argument. Star Realms is the exact opposite because you are pulling with your competitor from the same pool of cards. You're not to building, build your yeah, deck. exactly. Mm. You're not you're not starting out with your own deck of cards that you're then going against somebody with. You're it's definitely everybody's working from the same deck. Yeah, it's great. It is. Somebody called it the Grease Lightning of deck building games. And oh. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Ooh. Because it moves so fast. If you've ever played a deck building game, even if you haven't, it's super approachable, super learnable. It's going to replace. So I. So Dominion spawned this whole deck building thing. Yes. The, the idea of. The closed box deck building. Exactly. It, there's no booster packs, it's not collectible. Dominion was the first game that made a game out of building the perfect deck of cards. The most efficient deck that you can, right? So a lot of different games have iterated on that since. Absolutely. Your Rune Ages, your Ascensions. There's a there's a ton Thunderstone. of them. Thunderstone. You know, yep. it goes on and on. Yep. And I love the whole medium, but some of them hit and some of them miss. And this one is going to replace all of them for me. I think I'm going to yeah. be reaching for Star Realms every time I'm I'm in that mood to play a deck building. Fifteen dollar uh, two player starter bucks. deck. Yeah, and what I love That's about awesome. it is, let's say you want to add three to four players, another deck. Five to six players, another deck. Yeah, and it and all the, works. And there's all these variant ways to play the game with three people and six people. And there's one called Raid, which I really want to do. Um, but this game, what I love about it is, it's a it's a Pretty simple game. Yeah. And yet, man, it gets your heart going. It gets the pulse going. Awesome. It, it's one of the best games I've played in a long time. Would you say it's an entry level? Like you're not a gamer? Yeah, I you think just, so. uh, I think it is. Yeah, I would say that it is. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. I, I think it's I think it's pretty approachable. Cool. I wish that oh how do how do I want to say this? I wish that this game would have come out right before Christmas. Because it would have been the my number one stocking stuffer pick for the holiday season. This game is wonderfully balanced. And because you can learn to play it in about 15 minutes, I think this game is one of the most accessible card games I've ever played. I think it is. And it's also, I would one of the most asked questions I get at the shop is... Um, I want something to play with my boyfriend or something to play with my girlfriend. Yeah, and it's I would go right to it uh, yep. for it's for strictly two players only for fifteen bucks, and you can get it because it's so well balanced and there's so much depth to it. You can get a ton of gameplay out of it. Yeah. So Nick and I played with a, a member of the Ann Arbor store, Chris, mm -hmm. and we did a three person battle. And I was I had played with two people before that, but I've never done. And I was a little worried about the balancing of three people. It was flawless. It was flawless. Awesome. It worked out so well. Yeah, and it, and I can't stop playing this game. Is the other thing I can, like. I want to play it every what's day. What's the uh, what's the player count max at? 
I don't know if there is one. I don't know either. It's they just, have they have rules in the variants. I think to go up to like eight people. That is awesome. So in theory, you could you could keep going. I don't know when it falls apart, but right. I, I don't know if it does. You know, you just wonder about like length of time between turns, yep, stuff like exactly. this, this right, kind of yeah. thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But I absolutely loved it. It's Star Realms. It was a Kickstarter project. It took a long time to get in to distribution, so that you can kind of start to see it in game stores. I remember it's, we were, it's out there now. We were getting asked about it for months. Yeah. Yeah, I will say that it, when you buy this game, because you're going to, because it's amazing, listeners, uh, one of the first things you should do is buy colored card sleeves right away. Well, if you're going to be playing with more than two people, you kind of have to do that because in order to play with more people, you just shuffle all the decks together. Right. And it becomes kind of a pain to to separate them out at the end. Mm-hmm. So if you do want to play it with more than four, with more than two, yeah, get uh, get different colored card sleeves for each deck that you pick up. All right. So. Um, one out of ten star bases. What do you give this game, Nick? I give it. A, I give it nine star bases. Wow, I also nice. give it nine star bases. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one. Of, like I said, one of the best games I've played in a long time. Star Realms. Who's the uh, company behind it? Do we know? Oh, mm-hmm. that escapes me. I'll have to look. Sorry. It up. Twit, qu- twit question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next week we're going to talk about Camel Cup or Camel Up, depending on what the name of that game actually is. Awesome. Nice. All right, moving into some industry news, Marvel had a huge press conference uh, on Tuesday, and at it they announced that at the end of Black Vortex, this new series they have coming up, that a big, that's a big crossover. It's that's a coming big up. crossover that's coming over. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ultimate Universe, Earth six sixteen, which is our main Marvel universe, and all other Marvel universes will converge into one universe. Now, is it me or is this deja vu a bit? Because of the DC convergence. Same name. Are they calling it convergence? They're, they're not. They're calling it something silly. But, yeah, it, but it's it, it means if, the same thing. If you were to look both words up in a thesaurus, you would see them in the same page. Yeah. 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 Um, part of me is excited about this. Only because there are so many characters from the different universes that I'm in love with in Spider-Verse. Yeah. That this is a way for all of them to be together. So the the plot of Black Vortex, and you can read about this uh, in some of the Avengers novels, is we're in a phase where if two Earths come together at the same time in different universes, one of them must be blown up, yeah, or else both of them are destroyed. So, so uh, you know, and it Hickman's Avengers has been leading up to this forever. So what do they call them? Incursions. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they've been going around uh, the new universe characters, which are going to be folded into all this stuff, have been stopping incursions all over the Marvel universes. These are incursions from other dimensions. Correct. Into, okay, got right. It. So when the two dimensions kind of align, one of these two Earths must be blown up or both universes are completely destroyed. Obviously. So what's happening in Black it's Vortex just science. is... Earth 616 in the Ultimate Universe are going to cross paths, and both sets of superheroes realize, like, we need to blow up this other Earth. And what's going to end up happening from this is all Marvel Universes, chunks of them are going to be put together to create Battle World. Oh, Christ. Which is going to lead us into a new Secret War. Yeah. And after Secret (laughs) War, we're going to have one stitched together Marvel Universe. Totally cohesive. Yep. Finally, yes. universe. <laughs> totally cohesive. <laughs> yeah. So the, it sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. I know, but the end result could be kind of cool. Like this is, the, and, right. it, and it's and it could be kind of cool because 
you're excited about the, these characters intermingling with other characters that you like. Yeah. Right, so like I'm in love with the fact that Peter Parker and Spider-Ham have had some really great Spider-based dialogue in Spider-Verse. And after Spider-Verse ends, that in theory wasn't going to be possible anymore. These two characters would just never see each other again because they would go to their respective um, realms. Yeah. But now, because all these realms are getting stitched together, it's going to be a really big Charlie Fox trot. And yeah. I kind of want to see how these characters come together. Also, I like Miles Morales as a character a love lot. Him. I'm in love with Miles Morales. Now, in theory, if Miles makes it through all this, he would be in just the one universe. And that, I always felt like Miles kind of outshined everyone else in the in the recent Ultimates universe. Is there, what else is going on in the Ultimate universe? Nothing. So they've been, canceling, yeah. they've been canceling yep. all these Ultimate yeah. runs for this reason. So, um... It's going to be interesting, and I'm happy that all the characters I like will be kind of able to interact. So, with my favorite storyline of all time, my favorite crossover of all time, is Crisis on Infinite Earths. Same story, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Loved it. It's all time, still to this day, 25 years later. It's my favorite. If Marvel can pull this off, do it. Yeah. Great. I just find it ironic that both kill a bunch of Marvel too. and DC are doing essentially the same plot line. Like they have to know. Oh, there's bean counters that are are watching the pie graphs. Yeah, it's not a coincidence that they publish just about the same number of single issue comics and graphic novels every month, month on month. That's yeah, not randomly happening. And that's why this makes me like I have a hard time getting excited about this this is it just i roll my eyes as soon as i hear about it so you, you it, the idea to get these characters together and if you want to mix them together with other, that's fine Let, yeah that, that's cool and as good as spider verse is too right i'm i'm you know i'm trying to be optimistic i'm trying to be hopeful yeah yeah right because spider verse on paper when they announce it i'm like that that's stupid absolutely i don't like i don't want but that. isn't some of this kind of cool because it's such a limited thing and then they're gonna yeah. go away like does spider ham wear out his welcome yeah, at maybe. some point, you know, right? right. And, and <laughs> how how long can Spider Man, Spider Ham, excuse me, endure? Yeah, there's only right. so many puns right. that you can make. That's fair, but the, what I worry about is that DC's convergence and Marvel convergence in quotations are going to wrap up around the same time, and we're just going to get another horde of number one reboots because you know it's going to happen. That's going to happen regardless. Yep. Yeah that 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 is that is comic books. That right. Is, that is the that's the cycle. Yeah. Every few years. Yeah. And I love New 52, and there's still your naysayers out there, but some of my favorite characters have had, in my opinion, some of their definitive runs of all time. Aquaman, uh, Green Lantern, Aquaman. Batman. I mean, uh, a ton of characters uh, do you, do you since think the these, New 52. Do you think the number ones inherently, do you think that's an, a, a bad thing inherently to, to reset to, to number one? I don't think resetting to number one is inherently bad. I think resetting to number one after 30 issues is a little ridiculous. Oh, so not giving it enough time. To right, like, so the New 52 universe is my favorite DC universe that I've had the chance to explore. Yeah. And now, after Convergence, is all that all that time no. going to, you know? Nope, they're not, they're, they're not doing another hard reset. So people will die, books will be canceled, new books will be announced, but they are not. But how can that it's be? It's not a New 52 style no. hard, hard mm. reset. It's not a hard reset, yeah. no. Yeah, but, yeah, I just. DC I, has said as much, I've, I've read this. Right. I, for Marvel, I can't say, but. It's just like. I, I like this new 52 universe. I think they've done a good job with it. And now after Convergence, I don't want them to mess with it too much. This is all left over from a dun D&D did a hard reset on fourth edition, and they just fucked with everything. Yeah. And then they had to do another reset to reset the reset. 
And it's just like you have a really good thing happening with new, the new 52 universe. And it just seems dangerous. Sure. Um, that being said, Ultimate Universe, because it's not really doing anything right now, now is the time to kind of mesh it sure. together. And at the end of the day, you you look at industry numbers and you look at our numbers. I mean, for Marvel and DC both, you know, you got your top 25 books. Yeah. But really, stuff starts to fall off a cliff after, you know, you get out of that realm of kind of the top 25, 30 books, right? Maybe even 20 books, right? I mean, you go from books that sell hundreds of copies on the poll list to... 20 copies sure and they're seeing that on an industry-wide scale and so sometimes you know when they announced new 52 people lost their shit what are they doing it's crazy they're it's never gonna oh my god you know so we'll see hopefully they've got their architects uh on board you know and john hickman's uh, a big one so right we have brian michael bendis is you know one of the major contributors to the ultimate universe still with marvel still right there so i i have faith in his love of the Ultimate Universe, that it's going to be done well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just look at the the big two doing the same thing at the same time, and I kind of think, yeah. oh, okay, here we go. I have a proposal. I'm ready. Do it. Can I spitball this? Will you guys pretend to be the heads of Marvel and DC, respectively? Would you like to be DC? Uh, whatever you want. You're the Batman guy. So okay, I'll be figure. DC. Okay, I'll Got be Marvel. Yeah. DC. Curtis is DC. Okay, hey, how's it going, guys? Good, how are you? Thank you for having this meeting with me. This really means a lot to me, because you guys are, you know... Thanks for having me. It's really important. So, my thought is, what if every single book was a limited series? Superman, six-issue limited series. However many issues you need to tell a story, Yeah. and it's going to be limited of that number, and then you restart it because you have a brand new story to tell. See, uh, as the head of Marvel, I would love to do that, but I wouldn't be able to drag out some of the same stories for 30 issues and not make as much money doing <laughs> such. Because isn't this what they want? They want to be able to attract people to the beginning to be able to jump on to an yeah. issue, but those big numbers are intimidating sure. to non-comic readers Correct. or to people that aren't reading that particular series. So it scares you off. So then you have to do a big reboot, and it's number one, and it nobody's happy. So my answer is super complicated. We got to get get better retailers across the board. Yeah. And I'm not blaming the retailers, but so if we have 1 through 6, 1 through 6, 1 through 6 every day all day long. It doesn't have to be 6. It could be right, 1 through 20. 1 through 20. Mm -hmm. But, you know, racking. So we, you know, our new shelves hold uh or your average comic stores new shelves hold, you know, the last 20 issues. Yeah. So that could be really confusing to Please. as confusing to a buyer as issue okay. 399, all right? right? You know, which number one do I need? Which number two? But in theory, you could jump in with any of them if, if, right. if it's clearly labeled. So I would say let's not worry about the numbering as much as we worry about clearly labeling story arcs on the front of books. Right. So like Batgirl has done a really good job with this on issue 36 when they did the relaunch. Yeah. They kept the numbering. Yeah. But it was very clear like this is a brand like jump in here. Sure. So sure. it can be done. I just... What's and, the benefit? And then when you collect it into trade, though, real quick, you know, make it clearly delineated. What is this? What does this trade collection Absolutely. look like, yeah. right? So what's but, the benefit of the big number? What's the benefit of the ongoing continuity number? What does that do for – that's a unique thing to comics. No, sure. No, no other t form of entertainment does it to this degree. Yeah. So I think the nice thing about the big number in the long run is there's something really satisfying about – having something happen early on in a book series or like maybe in the first quarter of a book series and then 
maybe a year later or a year and a half later, something that took place during that original arc comes back to bite that superhero sure. in the butt or is still really relevant and you've forgotten about it. That's a cool... If you're on board for that whole ride. Exactly. Yep. Right. Exactly. What's the percentage of the audience that's on board for that whole ride? And how many people do you alienate for the sake of that small percentage? Yeah. That's a good point. I wonder. Um, but, you know, I think of my favorite books, and I, I don't want them to end. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving being on issue, you know, 39 of Batman. Yeah, absolutely. Right? But you love it because the writing's good and because they have stories exactly. that beginning and sure. begin and end. Yeah. And the writer has, has thought all that through. Sure. Would you, if, if it had a different number on Maybe it. Maybe not. If it's a different writer, if it's a different artist, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Probably not as much. Because this also encourages the idea that these stories should end at some point. They should have a beginning, a middle, there should be an arc to it, and that should be maybe planned into the formatting of the books. But, you know, and the flip side is too, so, you know, we we read a lot of comics around the shop. I just jump into series all day long. Yeah. Just grab a whatever issue. But not everybody is a is is you know well versed in comics as you, and that's that's tough for some people. That's true, but but I would counter that with saying that a lot of books are more accessible than people might think. That's true. Also, that's true. You know, it's kind of like you know I don't want to compare them to General Hospital, but pick a TV show, even if you haven't been there from the beginning. You're going to go in. You're going to have questions. But if it's a good TV show, right? You you'll be intrigued, and you could you could just watch an episode of The Wire or The Walking Dead without having seen. Yeah, all the rest of it. It's a little tougher on a big DC continuity book or a big Marvel continuity True. book than True. it is with other, or even a more so like Miss Marvel. You could just jump in on probably. Yeah, I think but so. It's, it's it's tougher to jump in on those big like flagship titles. Yeah, yeah, like if you were to jump into Amazing Spider-Man right now, You'd have you no would fucking have idea what no was going on. Clue what was going on? Yeah, for yeah, sure. Synopsis in the beginning or not? Yeah. No, I totally agree. I just the like, I'm getting a little burnt out on the big universe ending thing every year. Because it, it happens over and over again. We just keep raising the stakes and raising the stakes and raising the stakes. And it's because we're tied to continuity. We're tied to the idea that this is a big, giant universe right. that... Well, but maybe maybe this is it. Maybe they maybe these two companies have realized that that's what's going on, and these are like the last push. And then we get one universe. I love it. We get one universe, and we can have our She Hulks and our Miss Marvels and our Batgirls of Burnside, and you know we can do that because everyone's all in. Maybe this is the last hurrah. Yeah, right. I know. That's that's exactly what it is. I know. I'm just yeah, everything's and, and gonna be okay. Everything. Anytime oh. we uh, you know try to make hard and fast rules, though, it doesn't work because then we get a get an oddball that works. Multiversity works. Spider Verse yeah. works. Yeah. You know, and it, you know, so it's it maybe it's just got to stay oh. the wild west. So interesting. And there's gonna be some doo doo, and there's gonna be some does some this, winners. Does this like close the door? on Spider-Verse light comics, right? Because if all the universes get crunched together into one new complete universe, you can't do a story like Spider-Verse. Yeah, but do you have to do another story like Spider-Verse after no, it having until you been done? Do a story with another world. Right, there's it, no more other again. world exactly. stories, right? Until you invent another world that, but, oh, we just forgot about that. When we, we forgot did. about yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. We forgot Com- that one. Hashtag comic books, right. Exactly. Sorry, all right Superman's well, dead? <laughs> Thank you for hearing my proposal. You're welcome. Good talk. Thank you. You guys. Thus ends another issue of Super Skull, the Vault of Midnight podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, 
under at Vault of Midnight. You can follow us on our new Twitter under at Superskull Show and send us our questions for our Question of the Week segment at SuperskullVaultofMidnight.com. Superskull can be heard on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes every week on New Comic Day. Our music was created by the Atomic A-Bomb. Our logo was designed by the image wizard Philip Wong. Our producer is Secret Agent Catherine Gorman. Superskull is brought to you by Vault of Midnight, Earth's finest comic books and stuff since 1996. This is Marcus Schwimmer for Nick Wybar and Curtis Sullivan wishing you good reading. Until next week. Good morning, Mr. Beaverton. Oh, hello, Marcus. Just enjoying this shrubbery for breakfast.